0: Welcome back to Sideline Exposure. I am your host, Mitchell Crosson, and we're going back into the Big 12 this week, taking a look at another historically great program in the University of Texas, a program whose standards are still just as high as ever, but to be honest, they've underperformed lately. So let's go ahead and start off with some general info and some background surrounding the Texas football program. With over 900 wins total, the standard for Texas still remains higher than ever. They've also claimed four national championships, 32 conference championships, and two Heisman Trophy winners. However, it's really been a while since Texas has truly been relevant on a national stage with all of their national championships coming in 1963, 1969, 1970, and 2005. The last time Texas won the big 12 conference was in 2009, where they went 13-1 and with their one loss coming to Alabama in the national championship game. And this was actually the first championship for Nick Saban when he was at Alabama, which really started that dynasty run that we've seen now. But the 2005 season sure seemed like the peak year for the Longhorns as they won the championship, taking down the king of college football, the USC Trojans, and Pete Carroll. And in case you missed our last two pods, Exposure 108, Go back to the previous two Sundays, take a look at them. We took a deep dive into USC. First part was some background about the football program and Pete Carroll and how USC was able to build up a dynasty when they got Pete as as their head coach. And then part two was a look at the sanctions and NCAA investigation that pretty much started the downfall for USC. So it was actually pretty interesting. So if you haven't taken a listen, go back and take a look at those two pods. But back to Texas. But going back to Texas, I mean, not only did they win the national championship this season and dethrone the Trojans in 2005, but they also had one of the best players in the country in quarterback Vince Young. And at that point on, Texas still went on to have a couple more notable seasons in 2008 and 2009, beating Ohio State in the Fiesta Bowl in 08. And then as we just talked about losing to Alabama in the national championship in the 2009 season. Texas didn't really do anything after this point until 2018 when they were able to defeat the Georgia Bulldogs in the Sugar Bowl, but have since parted ways with the head coach at that time, Tom Herman. So, speaking of head coaches, I do want to spend some time discussing the recent head coaches Texas has had because I really think it's important for Texas. Now, it's important for every college football program, but especially with a program like Texas where The standards are so high, yet they continue to underperform. Clearly, this is starting from up top with the president of the university, boosters, and athletic director. So let's go ahead and take a look back at their most recent head coaches and relevant head coaches, starting with Mack Brown. While he's currently the head coach at the University of North Carolina, he really feels known for being the coach of Texas. And while he was at Texas, he was able to beat the rival Oklahoma in 1998, 1999, 2005, 2006, 2008, 2009, and 2013, which is pretty good because Oklahoma is not a pushover program by any means and they've been relevant for a long time. They're a modern day power and they also have some really great seasons historically. Also at this time they've had a legendary head coach themselves in Bob Stoops who also brought them a national championship. Now you're not going to beat your rival every year, and Texas knows that. But Mac Brown was able to get some solid wins against the rival Oklahoma, and really the Sooners are a powerful program. So I don't think there was really any concern there for Mac Brown. But funny enough with Mac, he actually spent some time earlier in his coaching career at Oklahoma as their offensive coordinator under head coach Barry Switzer for the 1984 season. But like most coaches for Mac. This was really only a pit stop, and he continued to work his way up the coaching ranks. So it kind of comes full circle at one point coaching at Oklahoma and then coming back around this time to the other side of the rivalry, coaching for Texas. Even though he beat Oklahoma a couple years, it wasn't always easy for Mack, especially in these games against the Sooners, being that if you lose to Oklahoma, not only are you losing to your rival, but you're also losing the conference championship unless Oklahoma loses two conference games. And as Texas, you only lose the one conference game to Oklahoma. But nonetheless, Mac Brown was able to recruit very well when he was at Texas, bringing in big time talent and really recruited the home state of Texas very well. Which, as we know, Texas is littered with a ton of football talent and is one of, if not the best state in terms of high school football. In the country. So, this recruiting really helped Mack Brown in Texas stay relevant through the 2009 season. But not only was losing the national championship to Alabama that year a disappointment, but was truly the beginning of the end for Longhorn football. Early on in that national championship game, quarterback Colt McCoy went down with an injury, leaving him out for the rest of the game. So, then Texas had to bring in true freshman Garrett Gilbert who was, let's just say, inexperienced at best. And it's not his fault. You're not expecting your starting quarterback to go down with an injury, especially early on in that game. But at that point, it was really Alabama's game to lose, and Texas didn't have much of a chance. So here comes the Heisman Trophy winner, Mark Ingram, running back for the Crimson Tide. And Alabama went on to win this game rather easily. Then the following year in 2010, Texas actually had a losing record and didn't play in a bowl game. And then a couple of years later in 2013, Mack Brown announced his resignation. So at this point, Texas is starting to look for a new coach. And this is where they found Charlie Strong, who was the head coach at Louisville at the time. And at this point, Louisville was a pretty good program as they were coming off a Sugar Bowl win themselves over the Florida Gators, which was deemed a pretty big upset. And I believe Florida was favored by two touchdowns in that game. And then they go on to lose by 10 points. So that's really a great win for Louisville and a really good look for Charlie Strong. In January of 2014, Texas officially announced the hiring of Charlie with a five-year, $5 million a year salary. And the University of Texas Athletic Director Bill Powers liked what Strong was going to bring to the program, which was a combination of a strong attention and emphasis to, we'll say, student-athletes' success off the field which sounds great and looks great on paper but let's just take this with a grain of salt um, you know it, it, it sounds great and you have to say that I feel like but at the end of the day you're the football coach you're at a program like Texas your main goal is you are expected to win football games it doesn't matter how much success your student athletes have off the field if you're not winning football games you're going to get fired so we'll just take it with a grain of salt but also, when Charlie came to Texas, he wasn't going to let anybody get away with anything they wanted. So he brought discipline, and there were actually multiple players suspended and dismissed from the program for disciplinary reasons his first offseason. Charlie Strong also had his players wear blank white helmets during offseason workouts and fall camp, meaning that you really have to earn the right to have the Longhorn logo on your helmet. And that's something that a lot of coaches have adopted, especially the last 10 years. And you could also look at Ohio State as another example, and Urban Meyer really emphasized this when he took over the program for the 2012 season. But as you know, Ohio State football, they have that scarlet stripe going down the middle of their helmet. Urban Meyer pretty much said, look, when you're a freshman, you're going to come in and we're going to cover up that scarlet stripe with a black stripe. And it's not that you're not a part of the team, but there's a sense of you have to earn your way as a Buckeye and earn your way onto this team. Now, some of these guys enrolled enroll early, and so they're able to you know, walk onto campus in January and take part in spring practice, which gives them a leg up on the rest of their class that follows through with their graduation, their summer prom, and all that, and don't come in until a couple months later. Some of those guys are able to lose their black stripe early because they're pretty much getting a kickstart on the process. But it's not a given thing that you're going to lose your black stripe before the first game of the year. Some guys actually don't lose it until the middle of the season or or the end of the season. It's really when you're able to step up and show the coaches and your team that you're at that point where you are officially a Buckeye. Charlie was essentially doing the same thing here. In Texas especially when you're at a powerful program like the Longhorns, a lot of these guys, and this is seen everywhere across the country at big time programs, not just Texas, but when you're as talented as a lot of these athletes are, they're given handouts their whole life, or they are told they're the best thing to play football, et cetera. And that's really no surprise to anybody that follows athletics in general, but you see this with football and especially at the high school to college level, guys really given handouts and Texas really wanted something different found Charlie Strong and thought that he was going to be a really good fit so it looks great on paper hiring Charlie Strong but the 2014 season really didn't go that well so first of all they lost to their main rival Oklahoma and then we talked about Mac Brown and how he lost a couple times it's going to be a given thing knowing that your rival is as powerful as Oklahoma is Nonetheless, when you lose, it's still not a good thing. So not a fantastic thing to happen in your first season. But the main thing that I found in looking back at this season was that they had four blowouts in the regular season. They had a 41-7 to loss to BYU, who is not a powerful program whatsoever, a 28-7 loss to Baylor at home, and then they were shut out 23 nothing to Kansas State, and to put a cherry on top, they had a 48-10 loss to TCU. So Texas goes on to finish 6-6 in the regular season. And they were offered and accepted a bull bid to play in the Advocare V100 Texas Bowl. And they played SEC opponent Arkansas. So you have the opportunity to play a respectable opponent and end the season on a high note. But unfortunately, they got their doors blown off here as well, losing 31-7. So not a good start. and overall, but you're not going to panic and demand a firing at this point if you are working in the media or if you're a booster or a fan because it's just one season and it's ridiculous to overreact and think that somebody should be fired. However, with that being said, there were a surprisingly amount of blowouts in this first season, and that's not something that you ever want to see. So at the very least, you're not going to panic, but you at least raise an eyebrow at this. It seemed like things started to turn around for Charlie a little bit as he pulled in a top 10 recruiting class in 2015 and actually went on to beat the rival and top 10 opponent, Oklahoma. But the Longhorns had started the 2015 season 1-4, and four, and they never were really able to dig themselves out of that hole. And at this point, the media started to speculate that Charlie's job was really in trouble just after his second season. So let's look at the 2016 season. Unfortunately, that also didn't go well, as Texas had a losing record of 5-7, and seven, which was their third losing record in a row. And in November of 2016, Charlie was fired after just three seasons with Texas. So, okay, you're Texas. What do you do now? Well, obviously, you're back in the market for a new head coach. But now you want someone that is really up and coming, maybe has a new system, and essentially hasn't been discovered yet. Now, this kind of seems similar to what they found in Charlie Strong. Clearly, that didn't work, but maybe you can find somebody that is offensive-minded and has a new scheme or is bringing something new in terms of a scheme to your program. So, next coach, Texas, found this in Tom Herman, who went from being the offensive coordinator at Ohio State to the head coach for the University of Houston. Tom was working his way up the coaching ranks fast, helping guide Ohio state and third string quarterback Cardiel Jones to a national championship for the 2014 season. As he also won the boils award that year, which went to the nation's top assistant coach. So when he was at Ohio state urban Meyer found him, which was a really good get and a really good find for urban at Ohio state. But you knew this was just going to be a pit stop for Tom Herman until he was able to land that head coaching job. He was really kind of the, the new hot thing in the coaching world and got that opportunity at Houston and was actually very successful there going 22 and 4 over 2 seasons including a peach bowl victory over Florida State in 2015. They also had big wins over Oklahoma and Louisville. They went undefeated at home and undefeated in ranked AP poll games going 6 and 0. They were also 5 and 0 against power 5 opponents. So Houston shouldn't be doing this. Houston wasn't really doing this before Tom Herman They're really not doing it now. So Tom was the sole reason why Houston, I'm not going to call them a powerhouse, but they were able to compete and beat some of these powerhouse program. Everybody noticed this. Everybody was able to catch on and see how successful Tom Herman was at Houston. And Texas also made note of this and made note of this early. And they officially announced the hiring of Tom Herman in November of 2016, a day after Charlie Strong was fired. So this tells us that clearly the Texas athletic department had their eye on Tom for a little while. Tom also went on to sign a five-year contract for $5 million per year, but he also didn't really perform that well with the Longhorns. He went seven and six in his first season, which again is not great, but whatever, it's just one year. So we'll see what he does in the future. But then he went nine and three the following year, including the win over Georgia in the Sugar Bowl clinching, a 10-win season for Texas. And let's not forget quarterback Sam Ellinger's statement after that win going on to say, hey, Texas, we're back, which is pretty funny in hindsight because they were, in fact, not back, going 7-5 and five the next season and 7-3 and three for the 2020 season. At Texas, this just isn't good enough, and Tom was let go in January of 2021. So this now brings us to present day with head coach Steve Sarkeesian as being the new coach for the Longhorns. And I think it's important to dive into a little bit of a background around Steve because he's had a lot going on in the past five, six years. So let's back it up all the way to 2009 when he was hired on as the head coach for the Washington Huskies and stayed there as the head coach until 2013. He was then the head coach at USC from 2014 to 2015 before becoming an analyst at Alabama he then went on to the NFL with the Atlanta Falcons for the 2017-2018 season, then came back to Alabama, helping lead them to a national championship in the 2019-2020 season. So let's start with UW. He really didn't perform incredibly well with the Huskies, but he did help the program come from an 0-12 season before Steve got there to some nice bull wins and brought a little bit of a offensive firepower to Seattle, and he was an offensive-minded guy, so everybody knew that he was going to implement a system where you could put up some points at least. They had a couple of years where they went 7-6, and six, but since he was known for being that bright offensive mind and he was still working his way up the ranks, he actually kind of had a similar feel to Tom Herman in some ways, and their journeys were sort of similar. Nonetheless, even though he went 7-6 and six a couple times with the Huskies, he was still making a name for himself. So he was still kind of hot on the market. So here comes desperate USC, who is still trying to dig themselves out of those investigations and sanctions that we talked about in our previous two pods. But USC went on to hire him in 2013, but it didn't go well. But my thinking is if you're USC, your program has been shattered and you see the opportunity to nab somebody that's still working the way up the ranks, has a good name, and you think you can grab him, he'll implement a new scheme, so offensive firepower for your program, and pretty much bring USC back up. So if I'm USC, I don't blame them, because Steve was still making that name for himself. Unfortunately for Steve in USC, who was fired in 2015, and in an SB Nation article written in 2015, allegedly Steve Sarkeesian was under the influence of alcohol at work, and apparently he had some sort of drunken behavior at her booster event, which is really not a good look. And, it, I mean, you put off, put it off to the side that he was fired. At this point, he just needed to seek some treatment and maybe spend some time away from football. So after this, Steve has to find his way back into coaching. So he joined Nick Saban's staff at Alabama as an analyst, which if you're asking what that is, that can pretty much be whatever you want it to be. It's really just a stepping stone in what we'll call the Nick Saban coaching school of rejuvenation just to get someone like Steve back on track in the coaching world. It's essentially just something to put on your resume. He was then promoted to Alabama's offensive coordinator in 2017 before going on to the NFL joining the Atlanta Falcons. But then he came back to Alabama for one more year, helping lead them to a national championship And that Alabama team was stacked. You had Mac Jones at quarterback. You had Heisman Trophy winner. Devontae Smith at wide receiver. Najee Harris at running back. That's one of the best offensive teams we've seen in modern day college football history. And Steve had a big part in that. So you have to give them credit. He was the next big thing. And even though he had a rough past, he was able to build himself back up. Texas didn't want to miss out on another opportunity. And so they were able to nab him. And he signed for six years, $34.2 million total. So let's look at the 2021 season for Texas. And I think we're starting to see a trend here with first-year head coaches at the Longhorns because the first season under Steve wasn't really anything to boast about. Texas went 5-7, and seven, which was 3-6 and six in conference play. And at a point in the season from October 9th to November 25th, Texas lost every game, which was six in a row at that point. This included the loss to sixth-ranked Oklahoma in the rivalry game, where Texas just blew a huge 20-plus point lead. But then finally, on November twenty-sixth, 2021, their last game of the year, they got back into the winning column, defeating Kansas State 22-17. But really, when you go back and look at all six of those losses that came in a row, they were mostly pretty close, They had a 7-point loss to Oklahoma, a 6-point loss to Oklahoma State, who was ranked 16th at the time, and then you had a 7-point loss to 17th-ranked Baylor. So that's three top 20-ranked losses by one possession. And then you had a 1-point overtime loss to Kansas and an 8-point loss to West Virginia, both of which are still one-possession games. Now, the one time it wasn't close was against Iowa State, where Texas lost by 23 So, five out of six of those losses were within one possession. And the only other loss that season came to an Arkansas team on the road in early September, the second game of the year. And Arkansas had a pretty good season themselves, so I'm really not concerned about that 40-21 to loss against the Razorbacks. Now, when you look at that six-game skid that they had, we can play the what-if game, all we want, what if they did this, what if they did that, it's one possession game, etc., At the end of the day, they lost. And so hypotheticals and what-ifs aren't going to help you when you're losing. It doesn't matter how close the games are. If you lose, you lose. And they lost a lot of games that year. So let's take a look at the offensive side of the ball. So quarterback Casey Thompson had a 63% completion rate, throwing for 2,113 yards with 24 touchdowns and 9 picks. So numbers-wise, not too bad. But this offense was really trying to highlight and run behind running back Bijan Robinson, who was really one of the top running backs in the country that season. Robinson went on to rush for 1,127 yards, but only had four touchdowns on the year. So really a little bit of a disappointing offensive year for the Longhorns. Now, look, we've mentioned this earlier, but Steve is an offensive minded guy. So we don't have to worry about this. If you're a Longhorns fan, he'll eventually get, this side of the ball rolling. And remember, Texas also brought in quarterback Quinn Ewers from the transfer portal, who was previously at Ohio State. A little bit about Quinn. He has a pro-style type of throwing motion and was coming out of Southlake, Texas in high school. He originally committed to play ball for the Buckeyes in November 2020 and actually reclassified to the 2021 recruiting class and graduated high school early. He really did this so he could enroll at Ohio State a year early to take advantage of the new NIL rules. If the name, image, and likeness stuff hadn't existed, I don't think Quinn would have reclassified. It just wouldn't have made any sense. But if you have the ability to enroll at a university early, get adjusted and get acclimated to college ball, as well as make a couple hundred thousand dollars, I would do it too. So in August of 2021, Quinn Ewers officially enrolled at Ohio State. But he only stayed there a couple months, entering the transfer portal in December of 2021. And then announced his intention to transfer to Texas a little bit over a week later. And that's a huge get for Texas. Because Quinn was the top player in the country and is rated as the top high school prospect ever. Who's a five-star and had a perfect 1,000 rating per 24-7 sports. So numbers-wise, you really can't get much better than this. And physically, he's 6'3", weighs over 200 pounds. So he is almost everything you want out of your quarterback. Now, look, we haven't seen them actually play in competition. He took two snaps when he was at Ohio State in a blowout against Michigan State. I mean, Ohio State just ran Michigan State off the board. And so they threw in Quinn at the end just to get some snaps under his belt. But he just handed the ball off like a read option every time. So he doesn't have any real experience and we'll see what kind of leader he is. But you look at the numbers and you look at him physically, he checks off every box that you want from your quarterback. So obviously this is a huge get for Steve in Texas. And I think Quinn really has a good shot to be the starting quarterback by the start of the 2022 season, but it wouldn't be surprised to see him riding the bench initially then to take over the starting responsibilities later on in the season, maybe in the middle of the season or something like that. If he's as good as he seems, he'll play at some point this year. Then he'll be the starter for the 2023 season before going pro and entering the 2024 NFL draft. There's more to come on this. There's more to come on NAL and Quinn Ewers, And we'll do that on a separate pod later on. But I'm really curious to see this development of Quinn Ewers, who is this really high, highly-touted recruit out of high school, paired with an offensive mind of Steve Sarkeesian. And if they can nail this, you'll start to see them really compete for national championships. Now, looking at the other side of the ball, defensively, Texas ranked 100th nationally. And you don't have to be an expert on football to know that this is nothing to be proud of. The Texas defense gave up over 5,000 yards over the course of the whole season, which is about six yards per play. And if you broke that down on a uh, game basis, it's about 425 yards per game that they were giving up. So we've mentioned this multiple times, but Stevens an offensive-minded guy. He kind of reminds me really of Lincoln Riley and Oklahoma, where the offense there was really good, and the defense really just needs to be just good enough. And even for Oklahoma, when they were trying that out, the defense wasn't good enough. And that was their problem. Oklahoma was able to win some Heisman trophies, win some Big 12 championships, and went on and had a couple college football playoff appearances. But when they got to the big stage and played with the best teams in the country, they kind of got the doors blown off in some trips to the college football playoff because defensively, they just couldn't get a stop if their life depended on it. But this kind of starting to feel like this is how it is with college football now. And Ohio State is another example we'll point to. If you look back at the 2021 season, statistically, they were the best offense in the country, but their defense was pretty bad. And college football is really taking a turn to become a pass-heavy offensive game where the defense gets overshadowed a little bit. Ohio State head coach Ryan Day said that when they were hiring Jim Knowles as their new defensive coordinator, he was previously the Oklahoma State defensive coordinator, that Ryan was looking for really a head coach of the defense. And that seems to be the way college football is leaning towards now. You have these offensive-minded guys that are taking these head coaching roles. The offense is flowing, and then you just need to get the defense and a scheme implemented that pretty much doesn't slow down what the offense is doing. Now, this is definitely something that can work. So if you're Texas, and if Quinn Ewers is able to live up to the hype, assuming Steve can get the offense rolling, if the defense is just good enough, Texas will start to compete for appearances in the college football playoff. So I want to move on to our last segment here, talking about recruiting and just future buzz around the program. For 24-7 sports, Texas actually pulled in a great recruiting class for 2022, which was the fifth-ranked class nationally and the number one-ranked class in the Big 12 with an average rating of 0.9102. And anything above 0.9 is pretty darn good, so Texas can check off this box. This class was highlighted by some great defensive players, including two four-star corners in Terrence Brooks and Jalen Gilbeau, both out of Texas, and safety Brian Allen Jr., who's also out of the state of Texas. So off the bat, they're able to keep some really big in-state talent at home, which is really important for Texas and something that really they haven't been able to do for quite some time. So there seems to be a pattern that we've seen with the most recent head coaches at Texas and having pretty subpar first years. But there, there continues to be a lot of hype and excitement around the Longhorns. And, you know, everybody is always excited no matter what the, the new fresh start is, no matter who the head coach is. Sarkis had some problems because he's been able to turn it around. And I think this is a very interesting program. The fact that Lincoln Riley left Oklahoma for USC really opens up an opportunity in the Big 12 and specifically for Texas because Oklahoma was running that conference, and Texas was just a little brother to Oklahoma. Now Oklahoma had to go out, get a new head coach themselves, and they're really going to have to rebuild their program. So Texas has a window to not only become a powerful program again, but if they can just start off with some Big 12 conference championships, I think that's a great start. And from there, you can really look at, maybe a national championship appearance or something like that, because yes, everybody wants to win a national championship, but Texas baby steps. First things first, just win a conference championship. Let's check that off the box. Now, look, I will say if you are competing for a conference championship and you are a power five program like Texas and the big 12 is most likely you are at least in the conversation to make it in the college football playoff, assuming you don't have two or three losses. So there's a lot of excitement around this program, and I'm very interested to see how this plays out with Steve Sarkeesian and Quinn Ewers at quarterback. Okay, so that is going to do it for this week's episode of Sideline Exposure. Thank you for listening. If you haven't checked out our previous two episodes talking about USC, go back and give that a listen. We took a deep dive into that investigation by the NCAA and those sanctions and how USC was pretty much falling apart at the seams and that was a very interesting pot so i recommend you go back and check that out we got some big changes coming up so you can stay up to date on those changes and with any updates that we have on our social medias you can follow us on twitter at sideline exposed and then on facebook instagram and tiktok at sideline exposure we always appreciate ratings and reviews if you have them on apple Podcasts. so so thank you to you guys those are always a big help and thank you for being part of the show. We got episodes dropping every Sunday. And this will just help us get us through the off season here until summer hits. And then we can really start looking at the 2022 season. And before you know it, college football will be upon us. So thank you again for listening. And stay tuned for more content coming your way.